people complain all the time and they blame and they look at everybody else and they go, why can't they do it? Why can't? Stop it. Just you be the person to change. You be the person to do. Inspire people. Encourage people. Don't demand. Don't wait for them. Don't expect. Just be there for them. Open up. My whole book that I'm writing, the reason I'm writing my book, it's called The Self-Help Addict, was because for a huge chunk of my life, I was a self-help addict. I was addicted to self-help because I wanted that secret key. I wanted that secret source, that magical pill. It's not out there. No one's going to help you. Nobody's got that key. They don't. It doesn't exist. You have it. It's in you. You need to get out there and be the person that you want to be. You need to be the person that goes out and produces. Stop consuming. Stop trying to, to find something. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you. Hear their struggles. And then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public, personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Daniel and I had a unscripted, unguarded, very vulnerable conversation. It's not often that two men on an internet chat that tears well up and people get choked up. He actually ended up posting this interview on his podcast because of the rawness of the emotion that came up. And so look at the the notes for this podcast to get the links to his podcast to listen to that. This was also an early conversation where I totally dropped the ball on leading Daniel. If you're here in part to learn to lead, you'll hear me make some big mistakes that provoked resistance. He ended up doing the opposite of committing to a personal challenge. So I think it's as important to share what doesn't work For people who listen to this podcast a lot, they get to hear not just each episode, but the evolution of this leadership style over time. Hey, welcome to New York City. Yeah, I'm not in New York City, funny guy. (laughs) I thought you said you were in New York. Not yet. I'm coming on Sunday. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Well, then not welcome to New York. (laughs) Yeah, not yet. You can give me the welcome when I come. I, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to meeting you in person at last. Go sure. put video on. Oh, wait. So I'm going to put video. Okay, fine. We'll do it. I always do pre-video chat just because it's always good to see a face before we get on uh, on a show. So I'm doing something that I believe will take the podcast world by storm. Boom. And maybe you can help, is- which is that I record immediately. And you don't have to do this, but because uh, I don't want to, uh, what's the word, um, ambush you. But. I find that the first couple of minutes are like the most interesting. And then after people say, okay, we're done, then people start talking natural again and they get all stiff in between. Do you find that to be the case? I do, but with me, and I'm not going to toot my own horn, but I'm, I try to be real all the time. Uh, so you can hit record whenever you like. I'm not going to start putting on a script. I don't, I don't talk from a script. I don't have a, I have no idea. And I'm saying this completely honestly. I have absolutely no idea, Josh, 
what you're going to ask me. I haven't <laughs> uh-huh. got, I, no, I've got no idea what I'm going to talk about even. Like some people come with an agenda, right? I have no agenda. In fact, I'm speaking in New York, right? You know, I'm coming to New York um, this week and I'm speaking in front of a thousand people. I have absolutely no And you idea don't what, know what you're going to say? No idea. No idea. My wife's freaking out. My wife's like, well, what do you mean? You could have, no, no, whatever, whatever comes to me in that moment, then that's me being the most real I could be. That's it. So this is, this is actually what I wanted to talk to you about because my impression of you. Okay. So are we on? Actually, are, we, are, we, are we, are we on? Are oh yeah. We, yeah. We're on. We're on. We're on. This okay. is, are we switching off the video then? Uh, for better quality audio, yeah, let's yeah, do that. Let's do that. Stuff so, done. So, um, yeah, I call it the Spodek technique, which is to start it Im- immediately, mm-hmm. and then when we end, also we have to end so that people get to hear everything. So we'll stop the conversation. Like when we stop, we really stop. Oh, so you're not going to tell your guests what you're doing. You're just going to do it without them knowing. Well, in your case, when I mean you and I, I think I think it's safe to say we're friends. Yeah. So yeah, with you, I just say we're on. Now I give you the option if you wanted not to go on right right away, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have to. Uh, I interviewed Dan Pink the other day, and with him, it was he also agreed to do it. I said, you know, I give them the option, but okay. Because um, you can get a lot I of think trouble. That, you can get into some trouble if you just kind of like, hey, by the way, surprise, I recorded. Yeah. <laughs> so now in your case. I, I was pretty confident you'd be like, oh, could, you no problem. And you you just jumped right into it. And I yeah. think a lot of people, people who don't do podcasts, they don't realize how awesome the conversations are just before and just after. Yes. I, I, like, mm-hmm. I've been joking that there should be a before before and after the podcast podcast where people just take these <laughs> things. And, <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fine. So hopefully you'll start doing the Spodek technique too. So you're not doing an introduction. I don't get like a fancy schmancy introduction today. Hey, everyone. You are listening to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. It's Joshua Spodek here with Daniel Geffen. How was that? Oh, that was lame. <laughs> and I'll do a, uh, I'll do a, an introduction. You know, I'll record a different introduction before that, which will uh, be like the, you know, the, I don't want you to call it, there's a name for it, right? The intro or something. Yeah. yeah. Now, my impression of you from the outside is that you came out of nowhere and you just do a podcast that is like that people don't really do anymore, which is, like now it's all like um, super produced, hmm. but you just talk and it's very interesting and you just talk like as you just said. And yeah. you came out of nowhere and wh- where are you ranked now? It's really high up. I think I'm in the top 50 on iTunes in the business category. Um, and I was rated the top 26 by CIO magazine for business podcasts, uh, which is cool. But uh, I just... I don't know. I I kind of, you know what I posted on Facebook the other day. I said, it's, it's only a big deal until you've done it. And then it's not a big deal anymore. You know what I mean by that? Like, I don't mean having kids. Obviously when you have, I've got four children. So it wasn't like child number two was like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Had a child already. You know, (laughs) obviously it's a big deal every time, but most things, are not a big deal once you've done it. So for example, you know, for me, one of like the biggest things was like getting featured in Forbes. It was like this, this magical, like, Oh my God, I'm like, no, I'm never going to get featured in Forbes. That's like too quick. And then one day 
I get a message from someone saying, hey, by the way, I just saw you featured in Forbes. And I'm like, what? How the hell did that even happen, right? It happens to be that somebody who interviewed me on their show was interviewed on Forbes and he mentioned me because I was one of his best guests he had on his show, whatever. And he uh, basically mentioned my name and, and quoted me and whatever it was. And so suddenly I mentioned in Forbes and I'm like, dancing and i'm telling everybody look i mentioned in forbes and you put it on your bio and it's all cool and then it's not a big deal <laughs> you know what i mean it's like it's not a big deal it's, you know it's like you do a podcast show and it's like oh my god i can't believe i'm doing this I can't and then it's just you're doing a podcast show not a big deal it's like you write a book right oh my god it's such a big deal i'm gonna write a book i'm gonna publish a book and it's gonna be a bestseller right and then, and you publish a book and it's like Okay, I've done that now. It's not yeah, a big now, deal. Now I'm one of the people who's done that. Yeah, you're one of the people. Done, I, I'm still writing my book. So for me, it's a big deal right now. Well, I mean, that's me. the weird, the way you feel with Forbes, say. Yes. Like yes. you're just like, oh yeah, I, I had, a, I had a blog post about this, something recently similar, which is that I think that the bigger an achievement is, the more that it's the beginning, it's, it becomes just the beginning. So if I'm, if like I want to catch a bus and I run 20 yards to catch a bus, I get on the bus. Cool. No big deal. If I run a marathon, then the moment I cross the finish line, it's like now I'm this is the beginning of a new life that begins with having being a marathon completer. Yeah. So a little achievement is like whatever. No big deal. Mm -hmm. But a big achievement is like it's just it's just a starting point. And so the people who are the biggest achievers are constantly restarting over and over again. Yeah, but don't get me wrong. I, when I say it's not a big deal, I don't mean it's not a big deal that you did it. I think it is a big deal. If you've published a book, it's a big deal. If you've, you know, started your own, you know, whatever podcast show or you have, you know, achieved anything in life, it's they're big deals. But what I mean by it's not a big deal is that mentally it's not a big deal anymore. In other words, it's not the mountain isn't as big. It doesn't look as as you know unbelievable any like i can't do that you know what i'm saying like it's not like if you run a marathon so then running a marathon is is now something that you've done and it's something that you can do again but for the first time before you've done it it's just something in the distance it's something like oh my god i i can't it's like unreachable like oh my goodness right that's what i mean by it's it's not a big deal mentally it's not a big deal you know? So how do you feel about your podcast? I mean, it's, you have amazing guests, mm -hmm. you have yeah. a great ranking and it seems, I think it's, it, it seems from the outside effortless because you sound like you're just having fun with people. Right. Like I just had a, I, I just had a billionaire on my show. It was the first time I've ever spoken to a billionaire and I happened to have had an hour with this guy and I was just talking with him like I'm talking with you. And it's the weirdest thing. It's actually quite <laughs> surreal. Do you know what I mean by that? It's like, it's a surreal thing. It's like, I'm just having this billionaire, you know, um, on my show and I'm just like chilling with him. And then afterwards, I'm like, hey, by the way, Jeff, uh, when you're in Israel, like we should meet up and do dinner. And it's like, and he's like, sure, Daniel. Yeah, I'm actually going to be there in October. So let's hook up. And I'm just like, sure, Jeff. I'm just going to hook up with a freaking billionaire. It's like crazy. But it's just not a big deal anymore because it's because it's happening and it's happened. And once it's happened, it just happened. You've done it, right? You've just done it. Do you know what so I mean? So you by incorporate that? this stuff really, you incorporate this stuff into yourself very quickly. It, it, it rings to me, the words that come to mind, 
for me are genuine and authentic. Like it's just, it's like the you of a year ago or 10 years ago, or even maybe five hours ago might've been like, that's amazing. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. But the you of now is just like, that's life. You know, that's a part of life and that's a part of my life. And, uh, I think a lot of people dream of being able to incorporate that stuff because it's, it's, it makes your life so full and rich mm-hmm. as opposed to stopping yourself all the time. Yeah. And, here, and just, to, just to get practical here, for those of you listening, right, the takeaway here is essentially look at all the things you've accomplished in your life, realize how they're not a big deal anymore, right? And then tell yourself that if there's anything that you're scared of right now of accomplishing, just realize that once you've done it, you've done it and it's not going to be a big deal anymore. That's the practical side of it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you don't, don't let the fear get in your way of taking the action you need to take because ultimately once you start taking the action, the fear just dissipates and it's not there anymore. So on a, yeah, I want to ask on a higher level. Okay. So on an, on a one time basis, you'll feel fear and then you'll get over it once you act. Um, yes and no. I mean, sometimes, yeah, I guess sometimes the fear will be realized and you'll fall flat on your face and then, but you, you know, you dust yourself off. Yeah. I want to, what about on a, on a larger scale? Like after you've done this five, 10 times and you, you find that the fear doesn't get realized or even if it doesn't get realized, it's not the yeah. worst thing in the world. Yeah. In cases like then over time, do you come to, do you come to find that fear or anxiety as a sign that this is something you should do and makes it actually more attractive to do? In the opposite, like the opposite of what it once was. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up that point. I've done now 107 episodes on my show, right? So you would think that if I've done 107 interviews, then I should just get on the interview and I shouldn't have any issue, right? I should just do it like I'm going to the bathroom, right? But I could tell you that every single time I'm about to get on with a guest – I have butterflies in my stomach. I need to take a piss. Like I'm, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. But the minute that we start talking, meaning once I've done the intro and we kind of start getting into the groove, I'm fine. I'm completely fine. I'm relaxed. I'm cool. But that five minutes just before we get on, I'm as nervous as anything. But it's you- crazy. It's illogical because I've done this 107 times and guess what? I haven't failed once, meaning I haven't messed up once, not once. I've So like, why would I mess up this time or what's going to go wrong? And worst case scenario is I can edit something out if I sound like an idiot. So what is wrong? I don't even know what the answer to that question is. Maybe it's just an adrenaline rush. You know, I, who knows? Maybe I, maybe it's the perfectionist in me. That's probably more what it, what, what it, what I think it is, is, is that this time I'm going to mess up and I don't want to mess up with this guy because he, like, you know, this guy's a billionaire and I, I don't want to mess up with the billionaire because he, you know, I want him to really like me or, or, oh, this is Josh Spodek. Like he's famous and he's got this whole, and I don't want to mess up with him or, oh, it's this guy and I really respect him and I don't want this one to be the one where I goof up. Like, Maybe it's the perfectionist in me that everything needs to just be perfect and so I'm nervous about it. I don't know. Well, I have a theory on this coming from evolutionary psychology. Uh, but first, do you know um, – I want to get to that in one second. Do you yeah. know who Bill Russell is? No. 
so Bill Russell was um, he was a Boston Celtic in the, the 60s, I think, and they won a lot of uh, NBA finals. And he's famous that he would throw up before almost every game uh-huh. and out of nervousness. And he was he's I think he has more championships than anyone in, <laughs> in the NBA, yeah. like arguably the best player of all time. And he would, th- and in fact, his teammates would get nervous if he didn't throw up because they thought maybe he's not really into this game as much. <laughs> That's good. Like and that. so you're, you, you might not consider yourself at the Bill Russell level yet, but mm-hmm. even when you are, you'll be, if you still throw up just before every, every interview, yeah. you'll be par for the course. Yes. So I think that, you know, the, one of the first emotions when I started, when I started getting into emotional awareness and understanding like, the human emotional system. Not that I'm that great at it, but I'm definitely farther along than I was. I, I started like the difference between anxiety and fear is interesting because I think a fear is it's like a one. It's a very simple emotion. If a lion roars, you feel fear. It makes you want to run away. No one regrets feeling fear of like uh, if if someone's chasing after you in the dark, you you feel fear and you run away. It's like mm-hmm. that's clear. Now, anxiety, I think, is is kind of a mix of fear plus enthusiasm or desire or excitement. So you feel anxiety. The big place where I felt it, the first time I really noticed it was when I wanted to go on stage. I I, I did um, the class play in business school. And before I went on, I was I both wanted to go on and didn't want to go on. It's not a one way thing. Like I want to there's no no part of me that like wants to go toward a lion that's roaring at me. I just want to run away from it. So anxiety, I think that I'm, I'm scared of being in front of the crowd and messing up, but I also recognize that if I succeed, I'll be, uh, what's the word, like looked up to. Mm-hmm. So I think it's that mix of feelings that you're talking about is that anxiety is, and I think, I think it comes from like we're genetic, like that we want to, we want to be part of a group because that's makes it safer. So our, our ancestors out in, you know, in the African plains, humans, uh, we needed groups to stay alive because I don't think we're, you know, we're not big like elephants or we don't have fangs and claws and stuff like that. We're pretty uh, not that great, except that we have groups. So I think mm-hmm. if you're doing something that could make you part of a group, you want to do it. But if you could fail and get kicked out of the group, it's very scary. Mm. You know, what's interesting, though, you, you really you actually touched upon something. I don't know if you realized um, when you mentioned about the guy, Bill Russell. Right. And you said that his teammates were were worried if he didn't throw up before the game because they were concerned that maybe he didn't care enough about it. And that I think you hit something there is it comes down to if you care about something or not, meaning that if I'm nervous or I'm if I'm excited or anxious about something, what that means is that I care about whatever it is I'm about to do. If I didn't care then I wouldn't have those feelings. And so I think that that's something just to take mental note of is the next time you feel that fear or you feel that anxiety, just tell yourself, do you know what? It's good I'm feeling this because it means I care about what I'm about to do. Mm. I'm passionate about what I'm about to do. I'm passionate about the interviews I do. And because of that, that's why I feel that way before. If I didn't care, then I wouldn't I wouldn't feel it. So you're... Now you've given advice a couple times. I feel like this is your part of what you do is to is to help others. Like you're not just entertaining. I think that you feel like there's I don't know. I think you feel like um, 
you like to share mm-hmm. and you like to, you like other, you don't, I don't think, I think you're like, look, what I did, you could do too. And you should. Yeah. And it, whatever's holding you back, that's not like, don't like, here's a way to get over that. I mm-hmm. feel like that's a message from you. Is that like a big part of you? Yeah. Uh, I mean, why would you want to keep things to yourself? Like in my, I don't know. I just feel like when you share something and you inspire other people and you impact other people, to me, there's no better feeling. Like it's, I just get such a good feeling about it. You know, when I'm able to share something with someone and it changes their life in some small way, what better feeling is there than that? Yeah. I, I think that, uh, I mean, that's to me, one of the big appeals, one of the, uh, leadership to me is that. I mean, there's different element, there's different aspects of leadership, but the big part of it is helping others to achieve what they want, to find, to find what they consider meaningful and purposeful mm-hmm. and help them achieve that. And then, then they're grateful to you and they share more with you. And you, it, like the more that you help them achieve meaningful things, the more they share with you what's meaningful. And then the more you can help them. Right. Generally, the more you then open up back to them and then they help you back. Yeah. I mean, the truth is it's friendship. It's selfish at the end of the day. You know, I don't, I don't (laughs) think I'm selfless. I think I'm very selfish. I'm a very selfish person. It happens to be that when I help other people and then I get feedback from them saying, wow, Daniel, you really helped me. That makes me feel good. And those feelings are selfish. They're self. I, I, I'm feeding my, need or my desire to to feel like like i'm a somebody right so in a way by producing my podcast show and by writing my book and publishing my book and getting on episode you know uh podcasts like this and sharing my expertise if you will or my experience and whatever else i'm just selfishly taking I'm, I'm feeling good about who I am. And when I get emails or messages from people going, Oh, I listened to your show. You're such a great host. And they're just like rubbing my ego and it's wonderful. It feels, <laughs> it feels nice. You <laughs> know, that, that's just, you know, of course I go home. My wife uh, takes my ego back down a few notches, but you know, and that's why you get married. So, it, <laughs> and then she brings me back up if I'm feeling down. So it's works both ways, but you hear what I'm saying? Like I don't look at myself as, some big like wow you're so amazing selfless you know you really want to help everybody nah it's just me trying to take it's just me trying to feel good (laughs) that's all it is so what you're saying if i understand right is that marriage is about regression to the mean oh you want to pull that out of me now do you (laughs) Uh, marriage is also selfish i I got married yeah i got married because i wanted someone to love me and to, and to, I wanted someone to share, I wanted to share my life with somebody and, and to have a partner in life. And, and she was attractive. That's another thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and all you had to do was love her back and, or love her first. And then, and then yeah, you got what you wanted. Pretty much. Yeah. So I, it's funny. I mean, you're talking about selfishness and, uh, and I think you're, you're, you're saying it in not the usual sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also, and I think, I mean, I take for granted that as a social species, we benefit so much from helping others that we can, you know, we can take, I take, we can have faith in ourselves that if we do stuff to help ourselves in the service of others, it, it all works out. Mm-hmm. And it's if we miss some of what we are, if we think that it, the zero sum part, then we start getting competitive. Let but I don't an hear analogy. in you. Can I give you an analogy? Yeah. 
I really like this. Someone once said to me, the difference between heaven and hell. This is the difference between heaven and hell. Basically, we all go up, okay? And what happens is, is we each get long spoons and we're sitting at a banquet. And imagine there's two rows of tables opposite each other and you're sitting there and you've got, you basically, each person gets this very, very long spoon. And in your plate, you've got food that basically just keeps replenishing. So you can eat as much as you want. The only problem is, is that the spoon is so long that when you try to feed yourself with it, you can't. It's impossible. It's too long. The spoon, the spoon is too long to feed yourself with it. And there's going to be two types of people. The people who are selfish and people who are only think about themselves all the time, they will they will sit there and forever try to feed themselves with the, with that long spoon and they will never get fed and they will be hungry forever. That's hell. But the people, the people who are givers and care about other people will figure out that actually the reason why they have a long spoon is so that they could feed the person opposite them. And here's the cool thing. If you feed the person opposite you, then the person opposite you figures out that he needs to feed you. That's the purpose of his long spoon or her long spoon. And so you end up feeding each other. So heaven and hell is really just one place. It just depends on who you are, um, whether you get fed or not, or whether you starve forever. <laughs> or starve forever. Or learn, I guess you can learn along the way. How cool is that? I love that analogy. Isn't that great? Yeah, I'm I'm picturing myself face down in my bowl, just lapping it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no cheating. You, 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 you're stuck in an upright position. There's no there's no way to do that. <laughs> so I what I'm not hearing in your voice is any sign of insecurity, and that's what usually people. I think that's what motivates a lot of people to think think of themselves first. And I don't hear that at all in you. You don't think I'm insecure? I don't hear it. I mean, maybe when I'm not around. Um, that's a good question. I'm very comfortable, um, in this setting. Uh, like, I, I feel like, I don't know. I just feel very comfortable right now. Um, now there are times when I'm not as comfortable. So like I might go into a, a networking event and there might be a lot of really, I don't know, cool people and I don't know, celebrities. Whatever. And, and there in that setting, I might get insecure or whether that like it depends on the setting it depends in the context of where i am you know when you're at home you're always comfortable right you're always comfortable in your own home it doesn't matter who comes to your house like it's your house it's it's like it's your fault right it's when you go out of your comfort zone that you that i feel that you become insecure so for me maybe getting on stage in front of a thousand people I might feel a little bit insecure for the first few minutes until I kind of get into that comfort zone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but right now I don't feel insecure because I'm in my comfort zone. I like doing what I'm doing right now. Have you met David Barron, uh, Dove Barron, by the way? No. He also, I, when I spoke to him a, a week or two ago, he's got a podcast. I'll introduce you guys. He talked about how when he, he was, he was dressed, he dresses his way, like he wears earrings and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. Back in the day, uh, he was invited by a guy at a 
a tailor or like someone who in a fashion company invited him to speak and he was like, okay, should I look proper? And he goes, no, 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 just like that. And don't prepare anything. And so he didn't prepare anything. He came in and he just went right off the cuff in front of all these people dressed the opposite of how they would expect and floored them and then got invited to give another talk and then decided, okay, I should really do it proper this time. And he like got his haircut and all the stuff and they like ruined it. You know what? Let's go back. I'm really glad you brought this up. Let's go back to the beginning of this episode where you said that you wanted to do, uh, you wanted to just record from the beginning, right? Without any warning, yeah. you just wanted to have the pre-chat, right? You wanted to have that pre-chat. And you said that the reason why is because you found that, that the pre-chat was where the, the, the most quality content came out of and, and also the chat afterwards, like the post, the post at the chat, right? The post yeah. uh, interview. Why is that? The reason why? Yeah, great question. Right. Well, it's exactly what we're talking about because when you see the record button on, you're now on show and you know psychologically that people are watching you or people are listening to you and that makes you uncomfortable for a bit. And because you're uncomfortable, you start to kind of just try to put on a show and when you put on a show, you sound Mm, you don't sound yourself and you're not really being affected. Yeah. You're not. Yeah. yeah. Um, now after a certain amount of time, you kind of forget about the fact that people are listening or you forget about the fact that people are watching, or you just get comfortable with the fact that they're watching you or listening to you. And so you revert back to yourself. And usually that's why if you watch someone speak on stage, they may start off a little bit sort of shaky or they may sound a little bit, you know, wooden, but then as they get into the element, you see them starting to drop their shoulders and get comfortable in their own skin and just be themselves. And, and that's, you know, that's when you start to really like enjoy what they're saying. Um, so I like what you're saying about the fact that the pre-interview is, is, and I think that's very true. Um, with me, the reason why my show is very natural is because I don't do script. I find script is, it's so unauthentic and people don't, people could smell it a mile away. You can hear it. You can hear it in my voice when I'm trying to be someone I'm not, I'm not. And, and when I'm trying to put on a show, you can, you can hear it, right? People are intuitive in that way. Um, so like right now, I just feel like we're still in our pre-chat. I don't even, I'm not thinking about the fact that there are people listening to this. I'm just having a chat with, you know, with you and that's it. Yeah. And all right. One of the big things that I want out of the show is to make stuff like this accessible to people. Mm-hmm. Were you always like this or did it come with practice? Did Hell you no. work at it? Hell to the no. Hell <laughs> so what no. were you like before and how did they, how did you change and, and how can other people learn from that? Okay. So I was, when I was in high school, I was bullied. Um, and the, the reason I was bullied was it was, I guess it was, so it's interesting. I don't know if I was bullied because I was a class clown or whether I was a class clown because I was bullied. I actually, I've never really thought about that. Uh, but either way, I got made fun of, right? I, I had big goofy teeth sticking out a mile long and people called me Bugs Bunny. And I had a big mole on my face, on my cheek, and it had hair growing out of it. And so they called me Spider Face. Um, I actually froze it off after a, 
after a, a couple of years of getting tormented. Um, and I was called lanky because I was extremely skinny and, and, and tall uh, for my age. Um, I was also kept down a year because they didn't have enough room in the year above and I was misbehaving. So they kind of kept me down as a punishment, whatever it was. And so, Oh my God, they did that for themselves at your expense. Yeah. And the worst part about it was that my younger brother was in the year below me. And so when I stayed down a year, I was essentially in the same year as my brother. And so people would always taunt me and say, Hey, are you twins? Are you, are you and your brother twins? And of course they knew the answer. And I would say, no, I'm a year older. And they're like, Oh, so you must be really dumb. Oh my yeah. God. This, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to yeah. cry. So I was called dumb, goofy, you know, Bugs Bunny, spider face, you name it. I was just named lanky, all these things. And so I was alone. I was a loner. I felt like a loner and nobody really wants to be friends with the, 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 you know, the guy that everybody picked on. And so I kind of like, the way that I masked it was I would be a clown. So I would jump on tables and make jokes. And of course, I got into a lot of trouble. The teachers would, you know, kick me out of class. I'd get detention. I was always in the headmaster's office. Like there was just, that's just how it was. And and the reason why was because I, I wanted to put on a show because I I wanted people to like me. Like that's it. I just wanted people to like me. Mm. Um. And so that was my upbringing like that. That was me growing up and so much. So you don't yeah, you don't sound like like you're clowning around now. Was it did it evolve from clowning around and misbehaving into I mean, this that would seem to like deflect yourself, deflect people from your internal self. But now I feel like you're sharing your internal self. Yeah, but that took a long time. Josh, I mean, that was like a, a whole process. Um, Did you specifically work at it or it just kind of happened? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I read a lot of self-help books um, and getting married helped me as well. Just having uh, somebody who genuinely loves me for who I am. Um, having children also helped a lot. You know, when you have children, you realize that your children will always love you and look up to you. Not for any other reason other than you're you, your daddy. And that and so, is so powerful because, you know what I'm saying? Like you can have friends, Josh, who they could like you because you have money. They could like you because you're famous. They can like you because you're good looking. They could like you because you've got good connections. They could like you because whatever the reason is, you dress cool. But to find somebody who loves you just because you're you, that's, it's rare. It's, it's very rare. And that's why for me, like having a wife and having children, and I do have friends now that are, that love me for who I am. Um, it's allowed me to be able to love myself for who I am. And is it that if they love you for who you are, then the less pretense you have, the more you stop um, putting on airs, the more love they will be able to feel and show. Mm-hmm. More yeah. selfishness. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And is there, you mentioned wife and kids, and then came the friends. Is is that the, yeah. I mean, I don't have a wife and kids. Am I, am I lost or 
Are there other places where you can get it? Yeah. I, mean, I guess your own parents? You can get it from your parents. Uh, you can get it from your siblings. I mean, family is always the the first place to go. <laughs> the low-hanging fruit, right? It's it's uh-huh. the ob- it's obvious, right? They can't get away from you. They right. And and they and because they know who you are. You can't hide from your mother. You could do all the things, you could do all the shtick you want. You know, get a cover of Forbes magazine and you can do all this cool stuff and you could do a hundred million of those burpees and everybody thinks you're cool. <laughs> but your mom knows who you are. She, she wiped your, your backside. You know what I'm saying? Like she knows who you are. You can't escape from her. You, you, when you go home, there's no show anymore. You're just you. And that's, that's it. And, and, and I feel like the more you can tap into that, the more you can start to be you when you leave the house. When you get up in the morning and you walk outside your door, you can be you. And whoever doesn't accept you for who you are, screw them. Like, who cares? Like, who cares? I'm really glad you shared the part about where you came from because I think I think a lot of people would listen to you and say, well, of course, he's a natural. He was born this way. Or, you know. <laughs> yeah, natural. <laughs> or somehow it's this stuff comes without, you know, oh, he has it. If I had it, I would be like that too, but I don't. Josh, you know, my father. Um, oh, by the way, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. But that's how I felt for years. That's how, I mean, if no one else feels that way, I certainly felt that way about other people. I felt like when I was in college, I remember going to bars and I thought, Everyone who was talking to each other all knew each other before they went to the bar because I didn't realize that you could meet people <laughs> without yeah. someone introducing you. I thought yeah. you, I thought the only way you could meet someone is have classes together and then it, you, you, you get forced to know each other and then you'd have fun together. And I was like, if only I took classes with more people on them, I'd know more people. Mm-hmm. Not realizing like people are like in front of my eyes, they're meeting each other. Yeah. I, it was like I was blind to it. Exactly. So you were going to say something? Oh, my father. Yeah, I, I, I never had a conversation with my father in, in my life, though, growing up. I, I, I never had like a deep man to man, son to father, father to son conversation. Um, he was, I mean, he's still alive. Um, but growing up, he was emotionally disabled. That's how I put it. He was emotionally disabled. Um, he came from a home where his mother drowned in a lake when he was 13 years old. And his father was a Holocaust survivor, the only survivor in his family. My, my grandfather was basically uh, pretty much of all of his siblings. He watched his parents get shot in the head. Ooh. He watched all of his siblings murdered. Uh, he was shot, actually, and buried alive. And pretending to be dead until the coast was clear and he was able to basically run away. Um, he went through hell. He, he went through absolute, this generation, we don't know what, what real hell is on earth. And my grandfather went through it. And so my father, you can imagine, you can only imagine how my father came out. Right. Having a father who was a Holocaust survivor and having a mother who died at 13 uh, when he was 13 years old. So he was motherless and fatherless, essentially. So he didn't know how to love. He didn't know how to be emotional and he didn't know how to connect. And so I grew up with a disconnected father. Did you how old were you when you put that together? Because I think 
you're speaking from a place of understanding him. Yes. I think a lot of people come from a place of accusation or, mm-hmm. you know, it takes a while to get the backstory of your parents. Yes. Um, from a young age, I think. I think it, I, I, probably when I was a teenager. Um, my wife is always astonished because she knows my parents, right? Obviously. And she, you know, my parents got divorced a couple of years ago. Um, and, you know, they both have their own baggage, both my mother and my father. And I've always been extremely understanding of them, respectful and loving. And my wife just couldn't understand. She's just like, I, I, I don't understand how, how you're able to do that. Um, and right, don't, don't you hate them like everyone else hates their parents? Is that? No, not at all. No, I mean, is that her perspective? Yeah. Is yes. it, is she like, yeah. Yes. Yeah, she, she, she doesn't understand. She, she, like, why are you not? Um, I feel sorry. I feel bad. I have empathy. I have empathy. My father grew up in, 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 in a home without a mother and, and his father was a Holocaust. Like, come on. Like, what, how, why would I expect anything more? But, you know, and, and more than that, Josh, I, uh, I decided at some point in my life, I decided that you've got to be the man. You've got to be the one to make the change happen because you'll wait forever and more. If you think that you're going to expect other people to change for you, you've got to be the one to make that change. And so I got on the phone with my father as often as I could. And even if it was awkward, even if it was weird, I would get on the phone and I would talk to him and I would say, how are you doing? And it would be short and very like, you know, cold, but I kept it going. And one day I opened up to him. He was telling me about money and how, you know, he just wants to leave, you know, money behind for his children and he wants to do this. And I said, dad, dad, stop, stop. I want to tell you something. Okay. I know, I know that you want to give me everything. And I know that growing up, you bought me things and anytime I needed anything, you always gave me it, gave me it. But I want to tell you that I don't want anything from you. I just want one thing. And you you will make my world if you can do this one thing. I want you, out of the blue, to call me up just once in my life just to tell me that you love me. That's all I want. I don't want any money. I don't want anything. And he said to me, you know that I can't do that. It's too difficult. I don't know how to do that. And I said, you know what? I believe in you. I believe that you can. And that's it. And we hung up the phone. And two days later, I'm playing tennis. And I get a phone call. And it's my dad. Now, my dad, the only time he's ever called me in my life was if there was an emergency. Either, 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 either someone died or something really, really bad happened or maybe someone got married. Uh, hopefully someone got married. So I'm thinking, honestly, I'm thinking when I see him calling me, I'm thinking, first thing I'm thinking is, oh my God, oh my God, I hope everything's okay. And I'm thinking the so worst. So you forgot, I mean, right now yeah. we just heard you say it yes. two, two days no, before, but I, that was out of your head, right? Completely out of my head. I pick up the phone and I'm like, is everything okay? And he goes, I love you. And I almost dropped the phone. 
literally like my I it would I can't I can't I cannot describe how I felt. I really can't. Like money, all the money in the world couldn't buy that moment. And you know, I did that. I encouraged him, and I and I inspired him to do that. Because yeah. People complain all the time and they blame and they look at everybody else and they go, why can't they do it? Why can't? Stop it. Just, just, just you be the person to change. You be the person to do. Inspire people, encourage people. Don't demand. Don't wait for them. Don't expect. Just be there for them. Open up. You know, like my whole book that I'm writing, the reason I'm writing my book, it's called The Self-Help Addict, was because from a a huge chunk of my life, I was a self-help addict. I was addicted to self-help because I wanted that secret key. I wanted that secret source, that magical pill, just give it to me. It's not out there. No one's going to help you. Nobody's got that key. They don't, it doesn't exist. You have it. It's in you. It's in... You need to get out there and be the person that you want to be. You need to be the person that goes out and produces. Stop consuming. Stop trying to to find something. And that's what my book is all about. I'm producing a book because I want people to produce. I want people to take responsibility for their own lives. Stop fantasizing and, and, and looking at Tony Robbins and going, ooh, stop drooling at Tony Robbins for crying out loud. He's a wonderful guy. But guess what? So are you. And you know, the only reason that he's on stage and you're standing in the audience or sitting in the audience, the reason why you've flown halfway across the world and paid God knows what for a ticket to listen to him, you know, the only reason why that is, is because he's on stage and you're not and you bought the bloody ticket. But it could, but you could be the one on stage. And guess what? Tony Robbins could buy the bloody ticket. Because you have it in you too. There's nothing special about him. We've all got the same stuff. You just be you. And people will love you for that. And that's it. Oh, man. It really got to me there. Um, (laughs) Well, for everyone listening, I think I can speak for all of them that thank you for sharing. And... Uh, for making yourself available like that. I think now we know why your show is doing so well and why we all, when does, how soon does the book come out? Oh man, uh, that's a tough question. I really hope it comes out within the next two months. I'm really pushing for it. Um, I've written 35,000 words so far. Um, and I just need to, A, I need to beat the perfectionist out of me. That's number one. And I just need to kind of like just organize everything and edit it and then put a front cover on it and that's it. So hopefully like it. all you have to do is just edit. Okay, edit so it's gonna be like six months. No, I really hope not. I, I really hope not. So people who hear this, I, I think even better I tell me if this is if you agree with this, that even better than hearing you and getting your story is that they will be able to have their story of their father you know whatever it is in their life yeah and they 
I mean, your goal, and I, I would expect that what the book is going to give is for people to do that themselves, not to be like, you might be an access point, but it's ultimately it's, it's for them to, to, for them to feed the other person with the, with the long spoon. The biggest reward you can give me if you, when you read my book is to write me an email afterwards saying that you're writing your own book. That, that's the biggest, that, cause then I'll know I've done my job. I don't want people to read my book if they're just going to get inspired and then two day, two days later they go back to the same thing. Like, then I'm, then I'm just yeah, that's another. Not, that's not inspiration. Yeah, that's then, right. The feeling of inspiration. Correct. Then I'm just another self-help guru and then I'm just like one of them. And that's not what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in that. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. Now, I'm going to take one thing that you said and and uh, pivot on that, Yeah, which is that you said you've got to be the one. You have to take charge. And otherwise, no one will no one will do this for you. Yes. And now the show is called Leadership and the Environment. And for me, something that happened, I mean, I guess a big part of it was like the, the president that just got elected saying that it, that global warming is a hoax. And I was like, wait a minute, I, I've been waiting for someone else to lead in the area of the environment. Yeah. And suddenly all of my aspirations of wanting to lead of like becoming like a Martin Luther King or something like that, suddenly it all shifted. And I thought, wait a minute, no one is doing it. People are doing stuff that people are doing stuff that I think is, is helpful in the long run, but not helpful right now, which is like trying to pass laws and trying to educate, but it's not changing people's behavior. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I thought no one's doing it. If I, if I don't do it, maybe no one will do it. And I thought, crap, <laughs> I, I might have to do this. And take a leadership role in this area mm-hmm. and suddenly all the stuff about being like thoughts of fame suddenly turn into thoughts of like large scale disaster and embarrassment and realizing flaws that are going to keep you from what you think like, Oh, if I were in charge, I could do what, but then mm-hmm. you're like, Oh crap, this is really if, <clears throat> like, we got to change the behavior of billions of people. I can't do that. But if I don't, who will? And And then you think, that's probably what they thought, they being the role models. Yeah. Well, I was going to say to your point about the fact that they're all going to laugh at me or they're going to think this of me, whatever it is. Nobody really cares. Like that is the harsh truth. <laughs> the harsh truth is nobody actually cares about you. Um, they care about themselves. Yeah, they're busy. They're, yeah. they're just busy caring about their own things. And you might be the laughing stock of the town for about 24 hours. But after that, they'll move on to the next entertainment. It's even better than that, or it has been in my experience, because when I tell people, it took me a long time to say this. And even now, ugh, people who have listened to the show a lot hear that every time I'm about to say what I'm about to say, I always preface it and do all this blah, 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 yeah. which is that I believe that we need a Martin Luther King, a Nelson Mandela, a Vaclav Havel, a Gandhi of the environment. And if no one's going to do it first, I'm going to do it. And it took me a long time to say, like, I'm going to become or I am the Martin Luther King of the environment. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, maybe not at the I Have a Dream stage, but even Martin Luther King at the Montgomery Bus Boycott was not the Nobel Prize winning I Have a Dream guy. He was a grunt worker mm-hmm. trying to organize some people to take the bus or not take the bus to walk. Yeah. So I'm going to you. You might know that I'm going to invite you to you have to be the one of. Well, actually, is the environment something you care about? Because if it is, I'm going to invite you to act on something there. And I believe, well, first, is it something you care about? Is it something that I, I, you, I don't know. Did you read the thing that I sent? Cause some people didn't see, don't see the link in it to say that I'm going to invite you to take on a personal challenge. Um, I don't think I did see a link. Um, but... well, you're in for a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, do I care about the, env- of course I care about the environment, but I think everybody has their thing that they're most passionate about and you've got uh-huh. to really focus on that. Like, I feel like if you're focusing on too many things, then you're not going to be as effective. Um, and for me, I feel like my space, like the place where I'm very passionate about, if you haven't noticed already, is really getting people to take action. Like, that's my space. Like, I want to be the guy who gets people to really take action. Like I want to be the one that gets people to go from consumer to producer. And, and that's, that's the space that I'm really focusing on. Um, and I think that for me to focus on anything else would be a disservice to society. So my challenge, the challenge that I'm taking on is also how to get people to take action. Yeah. And it's a place where, as far as I can tell, there's no burning, platform there's no hitting rock bottom like with addiction or something like that there's nothing that says like if you don't act now things are going to be things are going to go to hell yeah and so how do we get people to act to pollute less to emit less global emissions uh, uh, greenhouse emissions mm-hmm. to uh, less resource depletion you have to get emotional you have to talk to people's emotions because when you talk logic and you talk statistics we don't really care. People, people just don't care so much about that. Um, but if you talk on an emotional level, then that's what creates, in my opinion, I think that's what gets people to take action. So do you know when you watch a movie and there's a father and son in the movie and then the father and son have this whole, like, you know, they've got this terrible relationship and they have a falling out and, you know, and then at the end, then, then at the end of the movie, they get together and and they bond and it's like this most beautiful moment and it's it's wonderful right what happens what goes on in your mind you are inspired to call your dad you know and again this could be anything it could be your mom and it could be your your spouse or it could be a friend or whatever it is you suddenly get inspired in that moment to take action i got to call my dad why? Because you've been emotionally uh, inspired. Like, it's talk to your emotions, right? Now, here's the thing. A lot of people get inspired and then they let that moment dissipate. They wait. They say, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. The problem is, is that tomorrow you're not going to do it because you're not emotionally charged anymore. Mm-hmm. Now it's just a memory. But it's about taking action when you're hot, when you're in heat, when you're emotionally charged. That's why we're at charity events. The best thing is to collect at the time when people are the most emotionally charged. 
So you want to play a, a video that really pulls at the heartstrings and then people are crying. And at that moment, that precise moment, you want the guy to go around and start collecting the checks. Because if you wait, then it wears off. And so I would say in terms of the environment, and this applies to the environment, this applies to anything that any of you listening want to do. If you want to get someone to take action, you've got to play to their emotions and then strike when they're emotional in that moment. Get them to take action in that moment. So it kind of feels to me that if I want to get people listening now to act, then I want to get you to act. Okay. (laughs) You said it's not your big thing, Mm -hmm. but if it's something that you do care about, Right. And I'm not asking the, – the personal challenge is not to solve global warming overnight right. or all by yourself or even to make that big of a difference, but um, some difference okay. on something that matters to you. Okay. So I hear where you're going with this, and I want to say something as well. Another thing that you've got to real, uh, people need to realize is that you're not going to win the world. You're not going to get everybody to – get gung-ho with you. It just doesn't work for everybody. So you've got to find your audience. Instead of wasting your time and effort trying to convince the world, just find that small following of people who are like you. They are inspired by whatever it is that you're trying to do. And they share the same passion. And those are the people that you want to be spending your time focusing on. Because otherwise... You just kind of, you, you, your energies are just going to get dissipated. We've only got a specific amount of time on this earth and we've only got a certain limited amount of energy. And so you want to use those well. Um, so you could spend time with me, Josh. You could try and convince me about why this is so important and this has to be a priority and this is, but I'll be very blunt with you. I'm a friend. I could be blunt with you, right? Mm-hmm. Don't waste your time on me. Go find people who are really like they get it. Like those are the ones that get it already, right? Because you want to build that following. You want to build that. That's where you want to start. Don't start with people like me who you've got to spend a lot of energy and a lot of time trying to explain why this is a priority. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This is a big challenge that I I think that this show over the course – what I intended the show to be is I thought – the format is is two episodes. Everyone to, to have everyone on twice. The first one to talk about themselves, uh, talk about the guest, and then to invite the guest to take on a challenge. And the second episode was to talk about what the challenge was like. And I thought that all these second all these second conversations were going to be all these people saying, "Wow, it was amazing! I didn't realize it was easier than I thought." You know, there's a challenge that I had to take on, but then after I got through it, it was. You know, living by your values means that you, you do what you care about, even getting past, you know, comfort and convenience and things like that. What I'm finding is that I do get some of those, but I'm also getting a fair number of, uh, I woke up the next morning and I was like, I'm not going to do it. Or I did it until my wife said, this is too complicated. Or I did it until I traveled and then I didn't really know how to, you know, my world became more difficult to deal with. And some of the people on the second ones, are like, all right, let's figure this out. I, I still want to do this. I hit a challenge, but that's not going to stop me. It's just I got to get past it. And I, I think those are really valuable for people who I think a lot of people 
they take on a challenge. The first, the first unforeseen thing happens. They're like, Oh darn, I can't do this. I give up. And they, you know, they learned helplessness or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then, but I think one of the big things, so that's all one part of the show. I think what may happen over time is my evolution and my growing over a longer period, because one of the big things is learning from people who see things differently. Like I just took for granted everyone would see things in a certain way, or at least not too different from the, from how I see certain things. Right. And that's not the case at all. And like when one guy said it was too much time to pick up one piece of trash per day, mm-hmm. I was about to say, cause I do that. Yeah. I was about to say it takes less than a second. It, you know, you don't have to go out of your way, but I'm glad I did not say that because had I said that I would have, missed that the reason he it wasn't time that might have been what he said but he has other priorities and he believes that if he picks up trash then the part where he is of the city is going to be cleaner and people are just going to throw away more trash Mm -hmm. and that creates a perverse incentive now i don't see it that way but i'm not trying to motivate me i'm trying to motivate him and if i say you should do things for my reasons or you should evaluate things based on my values that's going to shut him off all right so that's just one example of Mm -hmm. where i'm like Oh, wait, I got to approach this. Now I see why no one does this because it's, it's this emotional minefield and people push back. And if you come at it your way, it's going to be an only your way. You're going to, you're going to probably get more people to dig in their heels than and resist, which I think, like, I think this is why part of the, re- I think it got a lot of Donald, uh, votes for Donald Trump was people who were like tired of being told this is what you should value. This is what you should do, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And a populist comes in and says, stop letting them tell you what to do. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, part of it is like I, I it, it's I got to learn how to handle people with different values and different perspectives and not take for granted that it's that everyone wants the same thing and how to incorporate that into my goals and so forth. Mm hmm. Look, I mean, like I said, everybody has their emotional, like, energy that, that it's, again, it doesn't have to be time, but you could say, you know, you said, oh, it just takes a second to pick up trash. It's not about the second. It's about the fact that I've got to mentally, um, be aware of it. And that's mental bandwidth. And there's only so much bandwidth we have to work with. Right. I've got to be thinking about how, you know, how to be nice to my wife and how to be there for my children and, and this business that I'm running and the podcast show. And I've got to be mentally aware of the fact that I'm a religious Jew and I've got to, I've got my duties and I've got, you know, so like there's so many bits of information and things that I need to be mentally aware of on a daily basis. And you're basically telling me now that I've got to become mentally aware of something else like another thing and so i think it's more the mental bandwidth than anything else than than the actual time um but like you can't do everything right you know i could challenge you josh and say you know why are you focusing on the environment why don't you focus on cancer do you know how many people die of cancer a year do you know how how many children die of cancer do you know how many children are left without mothers because their mother died of cancer germany like i can i can 
pull at your heartstrings and tell you why you should drop what you're doing and you should go and you should be focusing on how to cure cancer. That's what you need to be doing. You need to spend every freaking second of your life figuring out a way to kill cancer because cancer is killing people. Forget the environment right now. The environment, okay, the environment's lasted this long. But cancer like cancer's killing people right now. Why are you not focusing on that? Right? And then I could talk about poverty. I mean, you're talking about the environment. Okay, there's a bit of trash in the ground in New York. Okay, that's sad. But hey, there's kids dying of hunger in Africa. What the hell are you wasting your time talking about the environment for? Why don't you talk about the kids who go to bed starving hungry and they can't they, they, they die because they, they don't have food and water? Why are you not focusing on that? You know what I'm saying? What about child abuse? You know how many children get abused and you're worried about in the environment? Come on, man. Where's your sensitivity? Where's your priorities? For sure, surely child abuse is more important. And I can keep going, Josh. I can keep going and bringing up every different. But if you do that, then where does it end? Then you then you end up not focusing on anything because you're just trying to save the world. And I think that's the problem is people have this save the world syndrome. that I've got to just save the world. I've got to be everything to everyone. I've got to do everything. It just doesn't work. So you stick to your thing. If this is what you're passionate about, then that's amazing. And I highly respect you for it. But don't expect everybody else to join you because they're doing their thing. You should be encouraging everybody to be their own leader and be passionate about what they're doing and make change and make their change in the world, make their impact in the world in what they're doing. But I promise you, Josh, that there are other people who their mission is also to save the environment. And you need to be finding those people. You need to discover those people because you're going to get a lot more done and accomplished out of that than trying to just, you know, preach everybody else to convert them to your side. Sorry if I'm a bit harsh, but that's just my what I what I believe. Yeah, well, this is what this show is for is. It's not. I, well, my I'm, I hope that it didn't sound like I was. Oh, no, I'm not trying to convince any, or no, trying to. Not at all. Not okay. at all. I know. Because I think no, that a lot of people. I think a lot of people hear that even if you don't say it. Like a lot of people, when you say. The words say global warming, yeah. a lot of people will immediately think, oh, someone's going to tell me what to do. Someone's going to make me feel guilty. And they hear it, whether you say it or not. Yeah, well, you know what? But maybe I'm also saying it. No, the, the, first of all, of course, there's there's going to be some sort of feelings of guilt, right? Because people feel like you know they're part of the problem. If you're not part of the solution, then you're part of the problem, right? And so there is this element of guilt that people feel guilty about about things. But you know, you can't avoid that. You can't avoid that because just by you taking a stand, just by you taking a stand and doing what you believe in, you're always going to make other people uncomfortable. It's just the nature of the beast. It's how we work psychologically. You know, one person, one person's success could be another person's jealousy. Do you know what I'm saying? You can't, you can't change that and there's nothing you could do about it. And for crying out loud, please don't stop what you're doing just because you might, you know, make someone feel jealous or make someone feel guilty. That's not your problem. That's their problem. 
as long as you're doing the right thing and you genuinely believe that you're doing the right thing, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks or feels. So this is a big learning experience for me, which I appreciate. I, I, it, like, and the learning hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this several times and, and figure out what to make of it because it's, uh, on the one hand, it's a challenge on, of, for me and my goals. But on the other hand, if my goals are preventing me, uh, I, I, I don't even know what to say except that I, <laughs> except uh, that I appreciate and thank you for sharing what you shared because you're not the only one who's like you. And I'm, this isn't much me learning about people as anything else. Right. Uh, I'm kind of at a loss now uh, <laughs> as much so. as when you're talking about your father. Now it's, uh, <laughs> but I mean, the purpose of, of my, my bringing people on is like to learn from them. I mean, it's, you know, I hope to get people to to take on these personal challenges. But what, what's your goal? Leadership. You know, of of uh, can you give some context? I mean, I assume you meant of the podcast. No. Uh, yes, obviously, that's part of the goal. What's the ultimate goal of my life? Yeah. What are you trying to do? Well, I mean, it's it's not too different from what you said before. It's it's to it's to create a feeling of emotional reward for myself that I believe comes from being a social creature and and helping and supporting the people around me. Okay, but I feel you, that that is like the most meaningful stuff that people can do. But you, the focused stuff that makes on the environment. you focused on the environment. You could be doing many other things. And I described some of that before. Why the yeah, environment? So, so why that? Because in other areas, because it, it, then I believe that the stakes are high, that what's missing, I believe no one is doing. And there's not a lot of time. What's missing? And what's missing is people changing their behavior on an individual level. Actually, not just their behavior, but their beliefs. There's a, I think that people perceive changing themselves to, re, uh, to exit the mode that they grew up in of, you know, there's plenty of atmosphere to go. If I pollute, it doesn't really matter. What do you want people to do? To go through, to realize, to change that view. Or to, to have experiences, to see that that view, yes, it, it's a challenge to change that mindset. You describe that mindset. Mm-hmm. Once it's shifted to ultimately empathy for other people, that what yeah. I do affects other people, to realize that, yes, you have to go through a challenge, but on the other side of the challenge is a more rewarding, more empathetic, more compassionate life connected with other people, that it's you, whatever you think you're going to give up, you're going to get back more. Way more. What does that look like practically, Josh? What does it look like practically speaking? On an individual level, yes. it's that people try to, people say, all right, this, uh, pick something that matters to that particular person. So if someone cares about the litter on the ground, that they, at first, they might feel like this feels weird. This feels awkward. Like I'm bending down and picking up trash. I'm getting dirty. Yeah. To then they do it enough that after a while, they're like, why didn't I do this before? I wish other people did this. I wish I'd started doing this before. Mm-hmm. This is, I'm making the world a more beautiful place. I like what I'm doing and I wish I want to do it more. Okay. And I'm glad that I do it. I mean, I can say from my personal experience and people have heard this before on the show is that like I took on a couple challenges. One of them was say I went to, I challenged myself to go for a week without eating without buying any food where I would have to throw away packaging afterward. Cause I noticed that most of my garbage was coming from food packaging. 
Mm-hmm. And there was a good six months to a year of just eating really bland steamed vegetables and taking a long time to cook. And, but over time, as I kept at it, I started realizing like this tastes better with that, that tastes better with this. And I, I realized how to repair stuff. And you got these emails from me. I'm constantly saying to you, when you're around, I'll make you dinner. It's really, okay. I can say speaking for myself, it's incredibly delicious, more delicious and than anything I've ever had in my life before. Now I'm cooking for my personal tastes and other friends' tastes are different, but people generally like this stuff. And so what began as before the mindset shift, mm-hmm. what began as like a real challenge, it was hard and bland and tasteless and awkward and embarrassing if people came over has become one, possibly arguably one of the best things I've done for my life. That it's, it's told me that living by my values, even when it, those values go up against the way that I've been doing things for a long time, makes my life better. That by my okay, values, so gonna, so, evaluate, it means more mm-hmm, good. Mm-hmm. And I believe that there's nothing special about me in this area. I mean, I have my particular tastes and my particular focus. Mm-hmm. But I think that uh, you wrote a blog post on becoming the top 5%. You talked about physical fitness. You talked about taking action to make yourself what you want to be, something like that. And everyone should read your blog. So, uh, <laughs> I actually I haven't been blogging so much, but yeah, podcast. It was there. <laughs> I mean, I read that and I was like, I like this. Like, this is, I believe that I'm doing this mm-hmm. and not waiting for others to tell me what to do. I mean, I, I was doing that most of my life and I've, there's been a monotonic, uh, a, a secular progression toward not so uh, what gonna, you said, you know, not I, on I the ch- gurus I and stuff. Ch- I want to challenge you for a second. Uh-huh. And by the way, this is going to be really raw, so feel free to edit this out. And you don't have to answer this either. Why didn't you get married and have kids? Well, it's not entirely my choice. There has to be another person involved in that. And no. there have been... Well, I mean, yes, yes, of course there is. But uh, I mean, don't you believe that populating the universe is important and integral um, to continuing the human race? Uh it is, but that doesn't make it my responsibility. Whoa. And that's why I asked you the question. Because exactly, exactly what you just said is what I believe most people who are not doing what you're doing in terms of the environment, they're saying the same exact thing. It's not my responsibility. Yeah, they have their values. I have my right. values. Right. Yeah. Right. So in other words, you know, that happens to be your biggest priority, it doesn't mean it's not a value. It just means it's much less of a value. Obviously, you, Josh, you value continuity of the human race, right? Obviously, because hell, that's why you're, that's why you're doing what you're doing. Essentially, you're being very selfless because you're like most of what you're doing today isn't going to be the results are not going to even be appreciated within your lifetime. Like the ozone layer and all this stuff. All that is mainly for future generations, right? You're not going to really reap the benefits. You could eat as much canned food and packaged food as you want in this lifetime and you'll be fine. You'll die and that'll be that. But it's the future generations that you're concerned about and you're investing in them. But if that's the case, then why don't you have children? Because if nobody had children, 
then there would be no future generations. So you'd be pointless in what you're doing. And so that's the same logic that people could use and say, yeah, well, you know what? It's not going to make a big difference if I don't um, pick up garbage. It's not going to make that big of a difference if I don't pick up garbage. But your logic is, yeah, but if if everybody picked up garbage, then the world would be a better place. And if nobody picked up garbage, you know, right, here I have to I have to interrupt that it's not my logic oh. because I don't it's future generations are do have some importance to me. But that's not what's I had that for a long time. What got me to do this podcast and got me to take to take on the risk of becoming a leader in this area is that I think that people it's people right here right now will they will if they make this shift they will be glad they did now i take what you're saying if i understand you correctly i agree that to try to motivate people who are not in, interested in this is not going to get anywhere and so i'm not trying to push on people like that right. I, at least i'm i'm trying to avoid trying to motivate people who don't already feel some motivation like this already mm-hmm. but for people who do it's not just about future generations it's about their lives in the moment that I think in the same way that um, uh, someone who eats junk food, mm-hmm. I believe that if you start eating um, broccoli and cauliflower and stuff, yeah, for a while, it's not going to taste nearly as good. But after a while and your taste buds recover from all the sugar and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you will find apples much sweeter than Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. And you'll have sure. more sweetness in your life, mm-hmm. even though you're having less sugar and fewer calories. Right. And broccoli will never taste. If you eat a lot of Doritos, broccoli will never compare with Doritos. But if you stop eating Doritos after a while and you learn how to cook yeah. and prepare the stuff, bro- by the time you're starting really getting into broccoli and ve- vegetables and so forth, you'll look at Doritos and say, what was I thinking? Mm-hmm. So that's not a future generation issue, although that is an issue. Yeah. But I think that people are they're getting messages all throughout society. They're just saying bye, bye, bye. And, all you know, you know, the usual stuff. Yeah. And they're just settling in and and living lives of quiet desperation, unexamined lives and all the stuff that the sayings that have stood the test of thousands of years and still ring true. That this is an area where they can improve their lives Right here, right now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I think it's what, what the, what the book, the, you want people to write a book. This is, to me, this is a book. And I, if, if people, if people's thing is to write their book, if, if that's what their thing is, then they should probably work with you. But if their thing is the environment, I think that I hope to be a resource for them to start with a personal challenge, work their way through it. Or not, and hopefully the the guests that have in the show, who at least one of them will have the same challenge that any particular listener has. That maybe someone will all they need to do is come up with the idea, but maybe someone else comes up, maybe someone comes up with the idea, but they 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 can't make it past the first challenge. Well, hopefully there'll be guests who gets through one challenge, and maybe and so forth. You get the idea. I, yeah. I I hope that people who for whom environment is their thing, and environment not just number of carbon dioxide molecules per million or something like that, but how it affects other people is an element of empathy and compassion in this because the environment as an abstract thing, I think it's really how it affects other people and to the extent you feel empathy for wildlife also for them, that this is what, that it's, this can be a point I think for a lot of people where they turn their life around, 
where they stop saying, I deserve, I'm entitled. Why haven't, you know, I want to fly, but I don't want to pollute. It's someone else's fault that they haven't invented a, an electric plane. I mean, a mm-hmm. solar powered plane. It's not my fault. There's no a solar powered plane. I just want to do what I want. I don't want to pollute. It's your fault, right. not mine. Mm-hmm. People don't say exactly like that, but right. I've heard people say things pretty close to that. And where the flip side is, well, it's, it would be really hard not to fly, but if I really value that, Wait, so you're not maybe flying. I'll take on a challenge. Yeah, so I'm in like month 18 of not flying, and I used to fly a lot. Uh, are you going to the toilet at the moment? <laughs> no, I mean, yes, I I use I the, use, the, yeah. use, use the use the toilet facilities is what I mean, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure that using the toilet facilities is definitely not as good for the environment as if you were to go out back and actually, you know, uh, what's the word to uh, the soil to defecate? It, yes, defecate. But uh, it does something for the soil. What does it do? It. Uh, oh, um, um, come on. <laughs> uh, um, not pesticide, but no. fertilize. Fertilize. It fertilizes yeah. the ground. So, ever, ever and up until now, I was like, hey, this is a really interesting conversation. I'm like, these guys are idiots. <laughs> yeah. No, but seriously, like why using why using a toilet facility, a modern toilet facility, and not going and, and you know, replenishing the, the universe, right? I, and I can keep and I can go on and I'm not I'm not I'm not here Yeah, to I, I know. You're, I know no, you're not, not seriously saying that. Not it's, here to do it. What I'm here to do though is just to question, you know, how far like yes, you've decided to do that, but why expect i guess everyone else to do what you're doing because i'm not expecting everyone else to do what i'm doing okay i am doing what you're saying of i i want to help the target audience is people who want to change your behavior but haven't figured out how and because the systems we grew up in are pretty difficult to challenge and Mm -hmm. even if you really don't want to pollute or at least want to minimize it or lower it a fair amount it's really hard because people put up lots of friction and you hit lots of unforeseen things and it's easier to keep doing what you're doing. And we have, we live in an environment. I don't mean the environment. We live in a, in a culture, or at least I live in a culture where it says just buy stuff, just consume stuff. And, and people's reaction to things just buy more. And, and the government, like everyone pushes on growth, GDP growth, population growth, all the stuff that is going the opposite direction. So you're swimming upstream pretty hard. And I want to offer a, uh, a, a resource that is helping you. If you want, if you already, if you know that you want to, uh, pollute less, if you know that you want to emit less greenhouse emissions, if you want to, you know, do something environmentally related, but it's hard. This is a resource to help you change. Mm-hmm. All right. And, I came across a quote just after deciding to do this broadcast or a podcast somewhere. It said, cultural change, this was talking a corporate environment. It says, changing culture is a suicide mission. It's up against frictions all over the place and internal stuff that people don't think about until you push on it and then they get really angry and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, but that's, you know, that's part of what I'm, I'm taking on, but I'm not trying to change people who don't want to be changed. Right. But I know that some examples that motivate me or tell me that it's possible. The big ones when I was a kid, the three big ones that I think of a lot are when I was a kid, 
seatbelts were viewed as like the opposite of not macho. They were like not like people would argue like I don't want to put on a seatbelt. It doesn't affect anyone but me. It's my business. And now I've I, I don't remember the last time I went in a car and people just didn't put on the seatbelt without thinking about it. It's just you just do it. It's like an automatic thing. There's no mental the mental shift happened. There's no mental effort. It's just you you get in the car and put on a seatbelt. Likewise, when I was a kid, smoking was a lot closer to Humphrey Bogart. Now it's a lot closer to a diseased lung. And people, it's like in the seventies, if you tried to get the average, per, the, the average person smoked, and if you tried to get the average person not to smoke, that would be really hard, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To get the average person today not to start, just to stay not smoking is trivial. Like most, I don't know many people who smoke and even the ones who do are like, they make a point of going away from people so they're not bothering you with the smoke and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then when I was a kid, the other big one is when I was a kid, used to say, give me one for the road, meaning I'm about to drive, give me some alcohol. And that mental shift has completely happened, at least in the United States. I mean, I guess there are people who drink and drive, but if you overtly say, I would like a drink to prepare for me to drive, you're walking on thin ice. And that was in some part, to some part it happened because, I don't know, I, I don't know if there was any central leader on these things, but People made an effort on these things and and it changed. And I don't think it's impossible. And I think that at the far end of making the mental shift is an ease and a self-awareness and an empathy that that's what I'm trying to help people reach who want to go that route. If I exhaust all those people in the world, then maybe we would move on to the next group, the not low hanging fruit of people who are, I don't know. And ultimately, I poo-poo all these people who are like trying to pass laws without popular support, which I which I routinely call authoritarian. And I believe that trying to pass a law without popular support, people are going to push back hard on it. But in the long run, I do want legislation that says if what you do affects – I mean laws are there to regulate behavior that affects other people. And this stuff does affect other people. But to try to pass a law that people are not – that their behavior is not in sync with. And the United States is not in sync. The behavior of Americans is is not in sync with polluting less mm-hmm. and lowering greenhouse emissions. It's like the price of gas drops a penny. Everyone's like, let's get another SUV. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm overstating it. But right. to try to – I, ultimately, I want to make it so that legislators have an, easier, have an easy time passing legislation so that we don't – It's so it's much harder to hurt other people through behavior, you know, our externalities – have to get accounted for. Right. I hear that. So I'm not trying to impose, at least I, I hope that I don't sound like it. I, I believe that I'm not trying to impose my values on others, but I believe there are a lot of people who share these values and can use support and can use perspective and can, and want to know that it's not just, just because you're not going on an airplane Everyone else is, even if everyone else in the world says the plane was going to fly anyway, you know that you did make a difference and that supply and demand does affect the price of tickets. And you know that if, uh, if everyone else is saying, why does it matter what you do? You know that if you change, then that will enable other people to change and you living by your values and you taking responsibility for your actions matters to you. And that's what integrity is. Yeah. And you don't have to share my values, but still living by your values will make your life better. That's what better me- value 
means, you know, evaluate is, is to find the value is, is good. So you make your life better when you live by your values. Now your values may change and so forth. Mm-hmm. And different people have different values. But that, that's what I'm trying to get at is people have inside them what they care about. And it's, we live in a world where I find that it's difficult to change when most people prefer not to even face the consequences of their actions on others. Now, some people really don't care. That's their business. And some people say, well, there's nothing we can do. And I really believe that the best thing I can do is to have the most fun that I can. And if that means driving around Humvee, that means driving around Humvee. All right. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to the people who believe that what I do will make a difference. Even if it doesn't make a difference, it's what I feel is right. But I do think it will make a difference. That's how I feel. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm, you know, I'm very strongly motivated by or uh, motivated by, you know, men's search for meaning. That people who, even when they didn't get enough food to live on, would still share food with others. That there's more meaning to be found in helping others than in just the physical pleasures of, you know, enjoying driving your SUV or whatever. That sometimes when you give up something, it actually is getting yourself more than you thought you might have been giving up. The material loss is more than offset by the emotional gain. That that's why Viktor Frankl could write about about bliss and love in a context like Auschwitz. Now, I wasn't there. I wasn't, you know, I'm talking out of my, beyond my experience, but I think that why he wrote it, a part of why he wrote what he wrote was to, so that people didn't have to go through what he did and could create meaning and purpose in their lives. And that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Respect. <laughs> I'm spent. <laughs> I mean, I, I really, this is, this is, um, when we spoke on your podcast, you were extraordinarily, well, for you, probably just natural, but for most people beyond what most people's capacity or skill at listening. And I felt like you really just, you made me feel very comfortable sharing what was important to me. And that it's what you've done now. I feel like who's the guest on this episode. <laughs> And, uh, but it's also stuff that I've been wanting to say. I don't really know how to put it out there because the, I, I, I feel like on a podcast, I should do less talking. Now I've just indulged myself in talking a lot, but <laughs> you're, you make people feel comfortable allowing themselves to be vulnerable. And if people are listening to this and saying, what the, f-? like, who's Justin? He is, but I'm worried about that. But I'm also thinking, yeah, I'm talking to Daniel. Yeah. Although that did work out when I wrote my, when I did my video, uh, testimonial of your podcast, which people I know who saw it were like, Josh, that's really funny. And people who didn't were like, what? You're weird. Yeah. No, I, I was like, Marmite, you either loved it or you hated it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, this has been, this has been very interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I don't, yeah, I, I'm, you've done more episodes than I have. I've, I've, done a bunch of interviews. None of them have gone live yet. So I haven't gotten feedback from the world. I'm still, you know, I want to do a, a launch so that I get lots of listeners. I've, I'm on like, un, I'm in uncharted territory, but I th- believe that 
what you talked about earlier about you have to, if you, you have to speak your, your truth. I mean, you didn't say it in those words, but what are you doing if you're not? Right. No, I, I, uh, I really enjoyed that. I actually thought it was very, I was in my element, you know, I, I really, actually, I liked it so much that I would like to, if you could, if you could send me like the, um, the audio, the raw audio, um, I'd like to edit it out, like edit piece of it and, uh, and use it for my own show if I could. Yeah. And obviously I, I'll mention obviously that fact that, uh, it's your, your show interviewing me. Um, but it would be cool to just have that on my, one of my, I'll actually probably post it as one of my episodes because it was, uh, it was really good. I really liked it. I would be honored and then I will claim that I'm your first second or your second repeat guest. Yeah, pretty much, right? <laughs> well, now I'm kind of I've 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 completely exhausted my uh my reserves. Yeah, you feel spent. Yeah, I, and that's good. It's good. Um yeah, actually I'll I'll share something that I've uh I've I've noticed that the the word exhaust exhausted has I believe two meanings. And one of them is if your boss gets asked you to do something on a Friday evening and you got to stay late and you really hate it, you feel exhausted at the end, you feel like, ah, what a mess. There's also exhausted if you've played a competition to the full extent of your abilities. Like at the end of a marathon, you're exhausted. And that's a glorious, great feeling. I imagine having kids leaves you exhausted a lot and probably yeah. not the same exhausted that you feel when your boss makes you do something. Right. And so yeah. this is the second exhaustion. Mm-hmm. It's a good exhaustion. Yeah. Cool. This is this was quite a long episode. Yeah. So we're I see we're a little over ninety minutes. So uh, if people are listening, I guess they're I guess they found this really I don't know cathartic maybe or <laughs> insightful. I don't know. Is this the type of conversation you have? Not not exactly like this, but like you have conversations of this depth and richness. If the, if those two adjectives would describe it or mm-hmm. adjective of this depth nouns. Anyway, characteristics. Candid candidness or what do you what do you mean? Yeah, I mean, I guess most of my life growing up, I would have very superficial conversations and I didn't there was a, a lot of my growth in, in the emotional area and relationship area. Uh, one one thing that spurred it of many was a, a time when now it's a distant memory, but it was uh, maybe several week period when three separate people independently told me, Josh, I've known you for a long time, but I still don't feel like I really know the real you. And it, it, it really sucked to hear something like that, to think, to realize that the people I knew the most, we didn't really know each other that well. And I was, it was tremendously dissatisfying, tremendously like what's wrong with me. And, uh, and it took years and years and years of working at it that I think I'm, I've improved a lot in these areas by what I consider valuable and important. Uh, and yeah, increasingly I have conversations like this, like we're at the end of, like people will say, Josh, you should record this. You should post this. Yeah. And it's just like a regular conversation I'm having with someone. Yeah. And I, I take that to mean that they don't have the conversations like that with other people. Well, you know, it's funny you say that, Josh, because um, I, I, I've actually many times thought to myself that I need to record my conversations with myself. I, I'll, I'll literally have conversations with myself that afterwards I'm thinking, oh, damn, I wish I could have <laughs> made that into like an episode. You know, I wish I could have, you know, recorded that. Uh, so maybe that's something that I could do. Maybe it's something I should take away um, and maybe try and implement in my life. 
is to try and document my self-talk. Hey, you know what? That's actually a really crazy idea. What if I start a new show called Self-Talk? And it's basically Daniel documenting his self-talk. <laughs> you know, every time I have a, a little self-talk with myself, that'd be pretty. Or make it, or you can make it, um, what do you call it? Uh, crowd, not crowdfunded, crowd, crowdsourced so that anyone can do it. Yeah. What anyone could do is self-talk. Interesting. And then they could tag it so you could go on and you could listen to like, That's oh, I want funny. to listen to someone's self-talk about, uh, it's brilliant. Cause do you know, you yeah. go into, you really go into yourself. Like you really go deep when you have those self-talks. Like you, I find that I really, my mind like opens up and I'm having this incredible, insightful conversation, but nobody's there to hear it. And it's kind of a shame because I could document that. And then, and then I can also listen back to it when I, when I need to. So actually um, it's an exercise. It's, it's a couple exercises in my book is one of them is to write down your self-talk. No, and but then, see, writing it down, see, I'm going to stop you for oh, a second. Well, because writing it down, I feel like already takes you away from what you do. I, I feel like when you're in the self-talk mode, you're in a flow. And if you break the flow, it's gone. Sorry, wait, I was just going out of the range of the microphone to get my book because the, I told you the first exercise, but there's another exercise, which is to speak your self-talk. Oh, okay. And the reason was that I wanted to, now we're so far over that I'm like, all right, whoever's listening, they, like, they're really into this. So um, there's an exercise called Your Authentic Voice, which is to speak that. And it, the reason I'm getting my book is that the longest quote in my book is of a student who did this exercise. And do you mind if I read it to you? How long is it? <laughs> it's three paragraphs. Okay. Well, all right. I'll, it's spring break was a great opportunity to uh, to practice authentic voice around others and practice my inner monologue. My friends and I went on a road trip to Charleston, and, and uh, it's imperative to know that I was the only girl on the entire trip. I was definitely self conscious and embarrassed just to talk out loud my thoughts to college boys who love to poke at me already, to poke fun at me already. The first time I tried it was 2 a.m. on the way to Charleston when it was my shift to drive. I thought it was the perfect time to introduce, test, and practice my authentic voice, also especially when the guys I, I was with were asleep or half asleep. It was funny because I was whispering my inner monologue partly because I didn't want to wake them up, but also because I had a large fear that they would judge what I would say. But honestly, my thoughts were mostly based on the road or, or honestly, but honestly, my thoughts were mostly based on the road. I need to merge now. Great. This car cut me off, etc. Later throughout the trip, we went to the beach a couple times, and as we were walking around and exploring, that's when I was my most genuine and real with my friends. I've known these guys since sixth grade, and, I already have had, and I've already had deep moments with them. But what was different was I got to speak out my exact thoughts at the exact moment, not past thoughts and opinions. This was when I was most vulnerable with friends, with my friends, and it actually caused them to reveal some things that were in their minds too. It was a raw moment for us as friends as well as a self-actualization of my authentic voice. It's intriguing to me how developing an authentic voice is what separates leaders from followers. By being proud of who you are and voicing your own opinion, that's what distinguishes the strength of a leader and being confident in the decisions you make. I didn't realize how something so small, like revealing how your mind operates, can truly change how people perceive you and interact with you. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I read that and I was like, I was like, wow. Like I, I love reading stuff like that and, and the mm -hmm. effects that it has on people. I'm looking forward to listening to your, your, to your, uh, your podcast on your voice and, and if, it, if it's crowdsourced <laughs> to putting mine up there too. That'd be cool. I wonder what the, I guess I got to come up with the easiest way that, the, the, you know, to do it. 
figure out the easiest way to do it. Because if you start trying to make it complicated, it doesn't work. It's got to be very simple. Um, yeah, maybe Anchor FM. Maybe using something like Anchor FM. I get Steve Sims it. to find an engineer to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So it's 9.15 PM here in Israel. Um, and I've still got to produce an episode myself. Um, so let's wrap this one up. Yeah. And well, let's say, let's, uh, let's pause this until our next time on your show or on my show. And I'm going to listen to this one several times. <laughs> yeah. Please send me the, uh, the, the raw copy. I'm going to use it. All right. Well, thank you. And, uh, I thought you were in New York because you're going to be come, you're, you'll be here in, in a week. So I'm looking forward to seeing you there. No, I'm going to be there in less than a week. I'm coming Sunday, this Sunday. All right. So yeah, Tuesday night, we'll, we'll actually get to meet each other in person. And, uh, the invitation is open. I don't know. You probably have a very busy schedule, but to come over and try this food that I just talked about. Yeah. It's, uh, a bit of a packed schedule because I'm, I'm only there for three day, four days or three days. Oh, really, really tight, tight one. Yeah. So, um, but, uh, but I look forward to seeing you at the event. It'll be, it'll be amazing. And, uh, yeah. Me too. And yeah, we have to wrap this up because there's no talking after we hang up. So when we hang up, we hang up because let's just get everything. That's the Spodek technique. <laughs> okay. Fine. Done. Done. I'll see you in a few days. I'll see you then. Looking forward. Okay. Bye. Bye for now. Making it this far tells me that you found this conversation entertaining or cathartic, maybe educational. On the education side, for me, the big thing was how I lost him. I think when I started talking about the environment, I think he picked up that I wanted something from him. This was an early conversation. Since then, I've picked up on how not to do that. But a big thing in leadership that I found is if you want to lead somebody, you have to put their interests first. And I did not unearth his passions, what he cared about the environment. And so it was something that I was asking from him, and he wasn't interested in that. At that point, everything changed to me talking about the environment. I got to share a lot, and I'm glad he's a great listener and interviewer. But as far as leadership goes, the leadership was over by that point. So this was a big learning experience for me. As for what he shared about his father, I don't think I have to speak about anything there. I think that spoke for itself. I met with him a couple days later in person, and more came out. I'm glad that you listened this far, and I hope that you got as big a learning or cathartic or entertaining experience as I did. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.